0: great Uh, let's go ahead and look at our passage for today micah chapter 7 micah chapter 7 18 through 20 here it is who is a god like you forgiving iniquity passing over rebellion for the remnant of his inheritance that's just talking about god's people he does not hold on to his anger forever because he delights in faithful love he will again have compassion on us He will vanquish our iniquities. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show loyalty to Jacob, faithful love to Abraham, as you swore to our fathers from days long ago. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Father, we are all gathered here in your presence this morning to hear um, whatever it is that you have for us, Lord. So, I pray now that uh, as your word goes out of my mouth, that it would bear fruit and accomplish the purpose for which you send it. Lord, we, we acknowledge that all of these things uh, that we do in your name cannot be done without your help, without the power of the Holy Spirit. So, we come dependent, humble, walking with you, and relying upon you for everything. In Christ's name, amen. So, uh, we are uh, starting a new sermon series this morning uh, called future now, and we're going to be working our way through the book of Micah. So uh, here at at Wellspring, uh, we work through books of the Bible. We also do like topical uh, sermon series, which we've done a couple uh, recently, uh, topical, uh, where we're focused on specific um, things, but our regular diet, we want to be working through uh, books of the Bible. Uh, So we're going to hang out here for several weeks in the book of Micah. The Bible is essentially broken down into two parts. You have the first part, which is called the Old Testament. And then you have the second part, which is called the New Testament with the, with the coming of Jesus. So Micah is in the first part. It's an Old Testament prophetic book. Uh, it is in a section of the first part of the Bible called the Minor Prophets. Now, the Minor Prophets, there's 12 of them, were originally written on one scroll. Right, so they were all kind of put together. Uh, this is how the Jewish people thought about the Book of Micah, and this is how we ought to interpret it as one book, right? Um, you guys want to know what the, uh, the the twelve minor prophets are? Okay, okay, yeah. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Hag- Haggai, uh, Zechariah, and Malachi. Those are the minor prophets, and uh, Micah is the sixth book. So he's right in the middle. Uh, if you've been around church or you've, you've read any of the prophets, uh, they can be wild. Right? They, uh, they did some wild things. Uh, Micah talks about uh, going around naked. He was a crazy naked preacher. Um, and they said a lot of uh, seemingly scary things. Um, I think one reason for them maybe seeming scary is, I hear a lot of times, like, the God of the Old Testament was a God of wrath and judgment. And then you turn the page to the second part of the New Testament, and you see Jesus uh, was all about love. And I don't really think that's accurate, but um, if we, when we look at the prophets, if we simply understand them as being uh, heavy on judgment, we're going to miss out on what they're really all about. Micah is like a highlight video. Um... I like basketball, so I like to look up highlight videos uh, every once in a while. And a lot of times the highlight video is like multiple games jammed into one. So that's what Micah is. Micah is, is seven chapters. is a collection of over 30, 40 years of ministry. So all of his messages are kind of jammed into this, this little book. But they are essentially three sermons. The book of Micah uh, should be understood as, as three sermons in seven chapters. And here's what all the sermons are about. They're a repeat of warning, judgment, hope. So you're going to get one sermon, warning, judgment, hope. Another sermon, warning, judgment, um, and hope. And each of these sermons begin with a call to listen up. Micah says, okay, hear the word of the Lord. Hear what God has to say uh, to you. Uh, the prophets were like songwriters. Um, I was listening to this song uh, recently, uh, Chris Stapleton, Up to No Good Living. This is, what, this is one of the lines in that song. He says, I used to drink like a fish, run like a dog. People call me the Picasso of painting the town. Now, we don't really think he was a dog. Right? We really don't think he was a fish or that Chris Stapleton uh, cares about Picasso and, and painting right? This is poetry, right? We, we, we understand this when it comes to music. The prophets are very poetic, right? Like the, the whole book of Micah is, is Hebrew poetry. Think about that. The whole book is Hebrew poetry, maybe at minus one verse. And l- let me give you an example of this. In, in chapter uh, 1, verse 4, this is what he says. The mountains will melt beneath him. Okay. Now, Micah doesn't literally mean the mountains are going to turn into wax, although God could do that if he wanted. What he, this is poetic for saying that when God comes in judgment, like big things are going to happen. It's going to go down. It's going to be cataclysmic. It's going to be like a volcano. The mountains are going to melt. But literally this was fulfilled by him sending the Assyrian, the Assyrian army into northern Israel to uh, wipe the floor with Israel. It was God's judgment uh, against them. Uh, The message of the prophets are constantly trying to get us up out of our present circumstances, to get us out of ourselves, to get us from constantly looking around at our lives and what we got going on to see the big picture of what God is doing. That's why every one of these sermons begins with a call to listen up. Um, We were at the river uh, a couple weeks ago, had our chairs out in the water, sitting there just just enjoying the scenery, and all of a sudden, this bald eagle flew over top of our heads. It was beautiful. It was magnificent, right? But that eagle had a very different perspective on the scenery than I did. He could see all the twists and turns of the river. He could see the mountains. He could see the valley, right? And all I could see was uh, right in front of me. And the prophets are calling us to be like eagles, right? They're calling us up out of our present circumstance, to get the big picture of how God is fulfilling his promises uh, in the world, right? So that we can soar like eagles too. Don't you want to be an eagle? Yeah, yeah. Have eagle powers and just, just soar like, like an eagle, right? Uh, actually, uh, Micah's contemporary, uh, Isaiah, says this in Isaiah 40 verse 31. But those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. Right there it is. Right? See, when we trust, when we listen up to God's word and what he's saying through the prophets, we can soar on wings like eagles. We can see what God is doing uh, in the world. Micah was a pre-exilic prophet. What that means was he preached prior to Jerusalem, uh, being, uh, Jerusalem being destroyed in 586 B.C., 586 B.C., the Babylonians came into uh, Jerusalem, burnt the temple to the ground, took, a bunch of, took the Israelites into Babylon, and there they lived uh, for roughly 70 years as a result of uh, their, God's judgment for their sin. So Micah was written to warn them about this coming judgment, but also so that they might have hope in the midst of that. Micah was written 700 years prior to Jesus uh, Christ coming into the world. And uh, his name, Micah, his name actually has a really cool meaning, which is, who is like the Lord? And that really is what the whole book is about, who is like the Lord. That question bookends the entire book. So at the beginning, you're introduced to Micah, his name, who is like the Lord. And at the end, you just read the, we just read the passage at the beginning, Micah 7:18 says, Who is a God like ours? And the whole book of Micah is showing us how amazing God is. Let's look at, that is the question that we're going to be addressing uh, today. And we're going to to take a big uh, summary tour of this book. Look at verse 18 again. Who is a God like you, forgiving iniquity and passing over rebellion for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not hold on to his anger forever because he delights in faithful love. So, This is a rhetorical question. The answer to the question, who is a God like you, is no one. So let me give you a couple reasons from the book of Micah why that's the case. And the first is, he is there, and he plans and promises the future. So Micah was a prophet. Micah was a preacher of the promises of God. Uh, He was was proclaiming what God had promised from the, uh, the very beginning and showing how these promises of God we're breaking into the future. We're breaking into the present. That's why we titled this series Future Now. Let me show you this. Uh, verse uh, 20 of chapter 7. Se- chapter 7, verse 20. You, so Mike is talking to God. He says, you will show loyalty to Jacob, faithful love to Abraham, as you swore to our ancestors from long ago. So Micah is saying, hey, listen, hey, God, this is what you're going to do in the future. God is going to do that right there. And here's what that is. This is what he's always said he was going to do. This has been his plan from the beginning, that God made promises to these men, Abraham and Jacob, that God came and got Abraham and said, all right, buddy, hey, through you, I'm going to heal the world. Through you, I'm going to fix where it all went wrong. Through you, I'm going to bless all nations. And that promise got passed down to his grandson, Jacob. Jacob's family got bigger and bigger and bigger, and they became the nation of Israel. So this promise was passed down, because God is loyal to His people and to His promises. He plans and promises uh, the future. It's, it's kind of like getting a sausage biscuit from McDonald's. Has your mamaw made anything as good as a McDonald's sausage biscuit? No, she hasn't, because right? they're amazing, right? But McDonald's sausage biscuit's got to be passed down to you. Comes from the freezer. It goes to the chef, and the chef in the back works his magic, right? And then I think there's like a slide, like it goes down a slide, right? And then they grab it, the person is working the register, and then they put it in the bag, and then you unpack that magic, that, that beautiful sausage biscuit, and it is amazing, right? It's the same thing with the, with the promises of God. God's plan was that through them he might bless and heal all the world. And that he would gather up all the nations of the world as a united people in the church. That's God's plan. This is, this is the way the apostles uh, interpreted the, the prophets. I'll, show, I'll give you an example. 2 Corinthians one twenty, The apostle Paul says, For every one of God's promises is yes in him. That's Jesus. All of God's promises get funneled down into the Messiah, the Christ, that is the Lord Jesus Christ. So, the Bible, from the very beginning until the very end, is about how God is keeping his promises, his plan of salvation and redemption in Jesus. But, the God who is there, who plans and promises the future, saves through judgment. Let me say that again. The God who is there saves through judgment and this is why there is no one like him. Again, the book of Micah is about warning about this judgment. He's telling them this is what's going to happen. This is the judgment unless you repent and then there's hope. Right? So Micah uh, warns uh, us, he warns God's people about judgment because of idolatry. right? So God went down into Egypt and rescued Israel, and they became his people. They entered into a a relationship with him. He gave them a piece of property. He gave them the land of of Canaan. They went in there, and then they uh, began to be corrupted and tempted by all the peoples there and began to worship and serve their gods. That's idolatry. Uh, Let me show you this from Micah. Micah warning them about idolatry. Micah 1.7. All her carved images will be smashed to pieces and all her wages will be burned in fire and I will destroy all her idols. You see, the reason that uh, Micah warns about idolatry is because there's no one like our God. That's why. Because he's there and he's real and he plans and promises the future, we ought not worship anyone or anything uh, over and above him. And when anyone or anything in our life becomes more important, a priority, we give ourselves over to it, people always get hurt. The result of another God, another priority, another hope, another love, is always injustice. Look at uh, Micah 3.9. Listen to this, leaders of the house of Jacob, you rulers of the house of Israel, who abhor justice, see that, and pervert everything That is right. So idolatry always leads to injustice. All right? Now, what is justice? Think about it. What is justice? It is not what our modern culture says justice is. It is not social justice. It is not anything like that. These ideas always pervert what is right. That's what Micah says. Pervert everything that is right. Um, A friend of mine uh, posted something on Twitter a while back, and it went like viral. It got like 7,000 uh, views or something like that. And uh, here's what it is. I'm just going to quote to you what he said, and he, he posted an image. This is what he said, I quote, a friend of mine who works in a public university sent this to me earlier this week. It's part one of a diversity, equity, and inclusion training his department is forced to take, starting with an exercise that takes intersectional identities you'd save... Oh, it asks which uh, intersexual identities you save and which one you'd leave to die. This is demonic. So basically, it was was an exercise where people had to pick from certain types of people that they would leave on the planet to die and the rest to, like, take on a spaceship uh, somewhere else and they would save them. And this was supposed to reveal uh, their privilege, uh, their bias... Uh, the racism and things like that. And my friend concluded by saying, this is utterly demonic. And it is. Um, There's numerous studies out there that show that, and I've had people uh, from our church say that they've been forced to go through this type of training at their their job. D-E-I training, diversity, equity, inclusion. Right? And there's numerous studies out there that show that these types of trainings don't help people become less racist or less prejudiced or anything like that. They actually increase These things, right? So they result in actually injustice and not justice. They pervert what is right. And here's the deal. If there is no God, if the God of the Scriptures is not there, we have no way of knowing what is just. We have no way of knowing what is right. But because he is there, he is himself just. He is himself the definition of what is right and what is wrong and what is good and what is true and what is... Beautiful. Idolatry always causes injustice. Here's what an idol is. And by the way, we all got them. Not just folks out there and not just Christian. If you don't know that as a Christian, you need to know. Because 1 John, the end of 1 John, the last verse says, little children flee idols. Um, An idol is this. It's a good thing that becomes a God thing, and that's a bad thing. That's what an idol is. It's something good in life whether it be your family, whether it be your safety and security, comfort, ease, peace, right? your reputation, politics, sex, your romantic relationship, your money. It could be a thousand things. And then you put your hope in that. right, And you, you become enslaved to it. Anytime we sin in life, it's a result of us putting our hope in something other than uh, the creator God. And when... We take anything else and we make it a God, right? What happens is we end up taking from other people. That's what injustice is. Injustice is taking from other people what is theirs. Because justice is giving another person what is their due, what, is, what they deserve. That's what justice uh, really is. And let me show you how the Apostle Paul ties all this together in Romans chapter 1, 28 and 29. He says, and because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, see that? That's idolatry. They didn't think it worthwhile to acknowledge the God whom there's no one like. Here's the result. God says, okay, I'm not going to force you. God delivered them over to a corrupt mind so that they do what is not right. And here's the result. They are filled with all these things. They are filled with unrighteousness, evil, greed, wickedness. They are full of envy, murderers, quarrels, that's fighting. Deceit, malice, they are gossips. See, when anything else captures our our imagination, the result is this list right here. So greed is taking from others what you could give. Envy is taking from others because you want what they have. It says quarrels. People fight and argue. Because they don't get what they want, and they take kind words from other people. People are self-centered and want life to be all about them, so they slander and they gossip others. See, gossips take someone's reputation from them because they don't care what their words do. People are proud because the God whom no one can compare obviously can't compare with them. This list, Paul's list goes on to say that... um, Kids will be disobedient to parents. Kids are disobedient to parents because they want what they want and mom and dad are in the way of their idols. They better get out of the way. You see, God must judge all idolatry and all injustice or he would not be good. Or he would not care about people who are actually getting hurt by injustice. You see, he does care and he will judge it all. I heard about a situation in our community where a local businessman contracted to do some work, received the money to do the work, didn't do the work, kept the money. They took what was not theirs from other people. Now, the Bible uh, has some things to say about that. It's called stealing, right? We have laws against such things, uh, thank God. Now, let's suppose that situation was taken to court. The situation is taken to court. The judge hears the case. He hears that, hey, you contracted to do this work. You didn't do it. You kept the money, right? You took uh, what was not yours, and the judge said, you know what? It's really not that big of a deal. You probably should just forgive them. What would you think if that happened to you? It was a couple thousand dollars of your money. Probably wouldn't be happy with that judge, would you? See, God is the same way. God is just. He is good, and he must judge all Injustice and unrighteousness. Let me give you a biblical, biblical example of this. Uh, see, the God who is there saves us through judgment. I want to give you a biblical example of this. His people were down in slavery in Egypt, and the Egyptian government was forcing them to abort their babies. They were enslaved, which is injustice. They were hard-pressed, and they were in toil and pain and anguish down there every day of their life and God came and poured out his judgment upon that nation but he saved his people you see salvation and judgment are two sides of the same coin and this message is at the heart of the book of Micah God is warning us turn away from idolatry because it leads to injustice and it will be judged in this life and also in eternity. So let me recap here. The book of Micah is a part of the 12 minor prophets, but it's right in the middle of the scroll. The book of Micah is right in the middle. You're never going to guess what is at the middle of the book of Micah. You're never going to guess this. A death and resurrection. I can't even make this up, I'm telling you. Uh, A death and resurrection is at the center of uh, this book, the center of the minor, the minor uh, prophets. It is the death and resurrection of the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, the, the temple in Jerusalem was where uh, Israel worshiped God, where they met with him. Uh, it was a big deal, by the way. It's not there anymore, just to let you know. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was this elaborate building uh, where, they, where they worshiped God. And God was promising judgment on the temple and its death and destruction because of the great injustice uh, uh, on Israel's part. No one was concerned about this guy. No one was concerned about acting like him and and walking with him and, and, and walking in justice and righteousness. And God poured out his judgment upon that temple in 586 BC. The Babylonians came in and they melted that thing. But Right after this warning of judgment, in the book of Micah, you have this image of the temple being resurrected, right? To be in, on top of this mountain, of the highest mountain in the world. And then the word of God is going out from the temple and all the nations are, are coming to, to hear uh, the good news that's flowing out of, out of the temple. I'll show you in Micah chapter 4 verse 1. Look at this. In the last days. That's, that, 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 that phrase right there is crucial. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house, that's the temple, will be established at the top of the mountains and will be raised above the hills. Peoples, peoples, peoples means nations, will stream to it. Now, remember, this is poetry, right? So Isaiah is given this, uh, Micah is given this vision. He looks out into the future, the temple's way up there, and the nations are streaming to the temple um, like, a, uh, like a river. So The Lord is going to do something new by a resurrection, and the temple is going to be this lighthouse, this beacon of hope for all nations. Now, the question is, when is this going to happen? How about now? How about right now, even right now here in this room? Because the future is now. How do we know this? Well, we've already said it. This has always been God's plan. That salvation comes to us by Israel's Messiah, that is the Christ, Jesus, through the church. Right? The the, the apostles are clear that the last days began with the ministry of Jesus. Listen, this is not rocket science. All you got to do is turn the page in the book of Micah to Micah chapter 5 verse 2, and it's crystal clear. Micah chapter 5 verse 2 is one of the clearest prophecies about the coming of Jesus in the whole uh, Old Testament. Matthew chapter 2 quotes it. It's, it's about where, the town where Jesus is going to be born. So Micah chapter 4 says the temple is going to be exalted. Okay, what does this mean? What is this going to happen? Well, when this baby's born in Bethlehem of Judea. And then Jesus was born. And he had this ministry of teaching and healing and miracles. And, uh, you know, uh, one of the things that Jesus did was he went up in the temple and he cleaned house. Flipped over tables, and he talked about how you guys are stealing from people. You're taking from people. They were acting just like they were in Micah's day. And here's what Jesus said to all those folks. John chapter 2, verse 19. Jesus answered, destroy this temple, and I will raise it up in three days. He was talking about himself. Look, I just keep reading John. Jesus was talking about his own body. You see, Jesus was the temple of God who came into the world. Salvation and judgment are two sides of the same coin. See, our salvation comes through the destruction of the temple, which is Jesus' body at the cross. Jesus died for all of our idolatry to cleanse us. He died for all of our injustices to make it right, to make peace between us and God. See, sin cannot merely be forgiven. Sin has to be judged. Judged. And it was. The judgment that was reserved for all of us, for you, fell upon Christ at the cross instead. And Jesus died. But that temple has been resurrected. Jesus' body came out of the grave three days later. Just like he said, I will raise it up in three days. And this is the only place where you can find real hope and real peace here this morning. So let me ask you a question. Are you weary? And burdened, broken within because of sin. And you need to come to the temple. You, you need to be one of those people that, I, that Micah saw going up to the temple, which is Jesus, and to find your salvation, to hear the gospel, to hear the good, the good news. Right? Uh, is your life a shambles here this morning? Are you, are you falling apart? Are you racked with guilt and shame and sin? Right? Are you an idolater? Well, come to Jesus this morning and receive forgiveness. Come to Jesus and be cleansed from all your sins. This morning, are you a Christian here this morning? And you need to remember that all your sins have been judged at the cross, and there's nothing left. There's no remainder. There's nothing left over for you. All there is for you is the goodness and mercy of this God to whom no one can compare. That's why there's no one like this guy, because he plans and promises the future. There is no more judgment left for you if you're a Christian. You believe in the cross of Christ. At the cross, God poured out the judgment reserved for you and he squeezed that thing dry and there's none left. Hallelujah. All right, thank God. And if this is who God is, and he's this faithful to his promises and his plans, that ought to be the driving force of your life. It ought to change everything in your life. That's number two, right? Who is a God like ours? Who is is like our God? Well, no one because he is there and he plans and promises the future but number two he is there and he brings the future into the present look at, look at Micah chapter 6 verse 8 Micah chapter 6 verse 8 mankind he has told you, each of you what is good and what is it the Lord requires of you to act justly to love faithfulness and to walk humbly with your God now this is probably the most famous verse in the book of Micah, and you can actually find it in the uh, Library of Congress, right it's It's etched onto a uh, a tablet there. I think I have a picture of this actually, if you've ever been there. It's supposed to be like one of the most beautiful places rooms in the whole world. It's got like these eight columns that that go all the way around it, and one of them uh, is a statue of Moses with this inscription right here, Micah chapter six uh, verse eight and uh you know, that this room, through the, the architecture and the artwork, is really trying to preach a sermon to you. It's trying to say that, listen, God, God's promises have broken into the present, and your life ought to be different, right? You ought to live your life as a just person, as a faithful person, a humble person, walking with your God. Uh, I was talking with someone uh, the other night, and it was a beautiful example of exactly what Micah chapter 6, verse 8 is. We're going to put that back up there. All right. They said, listen, because God has been so good to me, how can I not forgive other people? There it is. That's Micah chapter 6, verse 8. Because God has been so good to us that his plans and promises have broken into the future, right? We ought to act different. We ought to, we ought to give to other people what is owed to them. We ought not take from them, right? We ought to give other people the time that they deserve. When God brings people into your life, they deserve your time, right? That's what it looks like to Where is it? To act justly, to give to other people what is due to them, to to give to them your ears, right? When you're around other people, to ask good questions, to to listen up to them, treat them like like a real human being, to hear their, um, their, their issues and, and about their interests. And they're like, it, it looks like giving to other people, uh, showing it, taking an interest in them. Right? And getting to know people as, as human beings, as real people, their lives and their stories. What is it they are interested in? You know, not, not just constantly dumping all your problems on people and dumping all what your hobbies and your interests on people, but, hey, what are you into? You know, what do you got going on? I want to know you as a as a real person. It looks like giving to them your compassion, having a heart of compassion for other people and concern and love. It says here that we ought to we ought to uh, love faithfulness. All right now, this is a very technical word in in Hebrew. It is the word for the fact that God is faithful to His plans and His promises. That God promised long ago to Abraham and to Jacob to heal the world through the coming of the Messiah. And he does that. And the word for that is to love faithfulness. The best definition I've ever heard of to love faithfulness is this. I think we got it. Someone cares and has freely made it their business to look out for you. Think about this. The living God has done that for you. He cares for you. And he's made it his personal in, he's made his, his personal business to look out for you, to care for you. If you don't think so, you need to go back and look at that cross. You need to think long and hard about how God sent his own son into the world for you. That's amazing, right? So let me ask you a question. Does this describe you? If God has done that for you, this right here ought to be the motivating uh, force in your life, that you treat people this way, caring for someone making it your business to look out for other people and not just yourself. I mean, Jesus told us these things, to love your neighbor as yourself. This is, this is like the big two greatest commandments. So where is God calling you to do this? Where is God calling you right now in your life to make it your business? Maybe it looks like after the service you stick around for a little bit and you go back to that little uh, connect table back there and you sign up to get on the service team because you're going to make it your business To look out for someone else so that they can have hot coffee in the morning. And they're excited and they come in here. And they have something in their hand that makes them feel a little less awkward when they're walking around talking to people. You know, because that's how it works, right? You got something in your hand, you feel a little more comfortable. Who doesn't need coffee on Sunday morning anyway, right? That's a simple, a practical um, step. Who are you personally looking out for? One of my uh, good friends in college uh, played in the NFL. And uh, he invited... uh, me and Audrey one time to come out to St. Louis uh, to watch him play. I played against Peyton Manning and the Colts, and Peyton Manning just, man, he dismantled that team. I felt bad for them. Uh, but, but afterwards, I was walking out uh, with my friend. We walked out uh, on, on the street there, and there was fans there. And they all were coming up to my buddy getting his autograph. And I was like, yeah, that's my friend right there. That's my man right there. Yeah, I'm, I'm with him, right? All right. See, we ought to be even more amazed at the fact that we get to walk out every day with this God. Isn't that what it says? Go back to uh, Micah 6, verse 8. Yeah. We can walk humbly with our God. And because there's no one like him, there's no one that, we can, that even can touch him comparatively. That means us included, we walk humbly, which means life is not about me. I'm not, I'm not a black hole sucking everyone into myself and and my problems in my life, but I got something to give to other people. I got love to give. I walk humbly. Life is about him, about glorifying him and honoring him and and serving him. Don't you want to do that? Don't you want to do this, to walk humbly each day with this God? Let me tell you something. He is there. This God is not silent. He's spoken to us clearly In the scriptures, in the prophets like Micah, he has a plan. See, and God's plan is unfolding even now, right here in this community, as people from other nations other than the nation of Israel are streaming to Israel's God and coming to believe in him and turning away from their sins and getting baptized, you included. How amazing is that? How amazing is that? And we can know him. We can know this God. And we can walk with him. Let me, let me conclude with Micah seven eighteen again. Who is a God like you, forgiving iniquity, forgiving our sin, passing over rebellion for the remnant of his inheritance? That is everybody who comes to believe in Jesus. That's who that is, Jew and Gentile alike. He does not hold on to his anger forever because God delights to care for you and to look out for you. That's what faithful love means, right? And this is the God we want to respond to now.